right, so this week's Parsha is called Parshas Nosoi. Parshas Nosoi is a, a is actually the longest parsha in the entire Torah. It has 176 verses. And this is the number 176 features in two more places in the Jewish library. Do you know where? Not offhand. Okay. No. no. 119 of Tehillim has 176 verses as well. And track and tractate Bava Basra, the Mesechta of Gemara called Bava Basra, also has 176 pages. Pages meaning double pages, like it is typical in the Gemara. Okay, what are the topics that are discussed in our parsha? So, one of the topics is the laws of the Sota, and another topic is the laws of, um, of a Nazir, and another topic is the laws of, is not the laws, but the story or the, the arrangement of the inauguration of the temple, of the Mishkan. Now, you would all know that, you would probably notice that the, the words in the, in the Chumash used to cover the inauguration um, process are very repetitive. It does it again and again and again. And so in a moment, we'll read the English of one of these, but you, but it's repeated quite literally. It's repeated 12 times. It says, and the, 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 on, on, the, on day X, the Nasi of the Nasi, the leader of tribe Y, whose name is Z, brought item A, item B, item C, item D, item E, whatever they were, as a inaugurational gift to the temple. But how many times does this happen? It happens 12 times. And everyone wants to know, Torah, why do you need to say this over 12 times? In fact, the Torah is generally quite cheap on words, miserly in a way. The Torah doesn't use extra words ever. The Torah is very precise. And wouldn't spend more sentences and more time on repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And so the question is always asked, why here in our Parsha is it repeated over and over and over? Would any of you like to give a guess why that's the case? Perhaps to underscore the commitment of each individual tribe and not just to sort of say that they all did, you know, X, Y, and Z, but to single out each one individually for its individual commitment. Yes, okay, cool. Okay. The question, though, in response to that, the question still stands. Yeah, you did it, but why do I have to give a full dedication of what is, what is it, like five verses to say this? Why don't I just say, oh... And he did it, and he did it, and tribe this did it, and tribe that did it. Okay? Yeah. Fair. Um, Juan, you want to make a suggestion as to why we need, each tribe needs to say it again? Mm. I, think, I think it's to insist uh, in the import, importance of the, the, the important thing. 
I think it's uh, it's like um, highlight uh, highlight. Okay, so and I'll give you. I'm going to give you guys a, a suggestion, suggested reason why it had to happen. To tell you that each person is valuable. Each gift is valuable. A person thinks, oh, he just did the same as everybody else. What value does he have? No. The very fact that he gave is valuable. And then what he gave, also valuable. But, but the tribe has made their gift, and that's important. The lesson is, the lesson is not just to, uh, to credit whoever gave it, but, but more importantly, to, to recognize the importance of the individual's participation. Okay, that's a suggestion. Now, who, what is this gift of the, of the Nasi, of the leader? Why is the leader, typically leaders have more, have more cash. Why is the leader not giving you know, millions of dollars? Why is, he, why is he recorded as having given an animal and, and, and a bucket and some incense? Like, what's that about? So the, the story goes that the Jewish people were asked for donations, make donations and, and fill up the coffers to build the Mishkan. And uh, they all hurried to give. And the leaders said, oh, for sure, they'll be left over what to give at the end. So why rush? Let's wait a few days. And then we'll come in at the end and, and give in whatever's left. Effectively, what happened is that they ran out of gift. The temple ran out of items that they needed. And so the all of the... Um, all of the leaders had nothing left to give anymore. All they could give now was the, um, all they could give now were these sacrifices. And that is what happened. Okay. And that's why here they are giving what they give. Okay. And we will, we will continue to discuss this. But in the meanwhile, let's move on. Here we have a quote from the Chumash. And in this quote of the Chumash, um, we feature... A uh, the instruction from God to Moses, and God is telling Moses what do they need to give. He tells them what they should. He tells them, um, he tells them that they should give these things, and then we go through all of the items that they give for each person. Now, in our case, we are going to read a quote from the Chumash from the second day, given um, by Nisan el Ben Suar. The, the tribe, the leader of the tribe of Yisachar. Now, you are for sure wondering, and if you're not, then you should be. Why are we reading the second days instead of the first day? Why this guy instead of someone else? Why the tribe of Yisachar instead of another one? Are those the questions that are on your mind? Okay. Robert has the questions mentioned. Good. So, I'm going to tell you a couple of answers for you. The second, Rashi, we, we are using this one because um, Rashi on the next page, and here, uh, here it is, Rashi is, whatever, it'll be here, and we're going to discuss it soon, but in the meanwhile, come back here. Um, Rashi is commenting on the second day. Why on the second day? Well, because the fellow of the second day, Nisano, the son of Tuar, 
Well, he was instrumental in the building of the temple too, of, in the building of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. Not only that, it's also interesting to note that the greatest minds in the Jewish people came out of the tribe of Yisachar. Now, you might know the name Yisachar because there are sometimes people make a financial arrangement called a Yisachar Zebulun arrangement. What happens during a Yisachar Zebulun arrangement? The, um, the, the, the Yisachar family, who, the Yisachar partner will say, I will do the religious aspect of this. For example, I will study in yeshiva. And the Zavulan arrangement says, I will buy part of your merit by investing in what you do. So the, the, the fellow sits and learns from the Yisachar side and from the Zavulan side, he pays for the Yisachar's lifestyle. That's called the Yisachar Zavulan arrangement where there is a studier and a payer. Um, Okay, so that was one thing. Another thing was that many of the people who sat on the of the uh, on the many of the people who sat on the high court of the Jewish people, the seventy-one sages, came from the tribe of Yisachar because they were just so much wiser. And um, and okay, that's it. So let's let's pick up the the Chumash again. And here I'm going to ask um, uh, Juan, will you please read for us this page, the Chumash? Pesukim for our conversation today. Mm. God said to Moses, let one prince each day present the offering for the altar dedication. On the second day, Netanel, son of, of Suar, leader of Is Isaac, uh, brought its offering. He brought one silver boat uh, waiting 130 shekels and one sacrificial vaccine weighing 70 holy shekels, uh, both filled with pork, kneaded with oil for a meal offering. One incense bowl weighing 10 gold shekels filled with incense. One bull, one ram, and one lamb for a burnt offering, one God for a sin offering, and for the peace sacrifice. Two oxen, five rams, five male gods, and five lambs. This way, the offering of Netanel, some of Tzuar. Thank you, Juan. Okay, so what happens next? So what happens next here, you see, is that um, we've gone over on one this just one range of gifts but now there's going to be another 12 and that happens in the Chumash and you can pay attention to that next time you read over the Parsha. Um, why? So what you've also noticed is that there are there is going to be three different kinds of items in the gift of the Nasi of the leader. So in the gifts first of all we said, in, um, we said before that they have to give a, um, you know, a, a bowl. The bowl, right, was weighed 10, 10 silver shekels, 10 silver shekels, uh, 10 golden shekels. It's a heavy, heavy golden bowl. They had to give not just, they gave, 
not just the the uh, the contents, but they actually gave the bowl to. And in giving the bowl, that raises the value of their of their gift. Not only it raises the value of gift, they also manage to make a three pronged gift to the temple. What is the three prongs? So I'm going to use the Hebrew words and I'll say it in English. It's doimein, soimeach, and chai. Doimein is mineral. Soimeach is vegetable. And chai is animal. So in the gift, they're giving both the mineral, vegetable, and animal thing. They're using all of creation. Of course, we never sacrifice human life. That doesn't happen in Jewish lifestyle. So they're using all of the available things that one could bring as a gift to God. We're elevating it all and dedicating it to a holy purpose. And that is, of course, the temple. Now, um, in, the temp in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, how many altars are there? So this is an easy one. You guys know there is two, two altars. There is an outer altar and an inner altar. I tried to search Google for pictures of it. I didn't know if the pictures I was seeing was accurate enough to post here, so I avoided posting pictures. But um, there is the inner and outer altar. The outer altar was typically used for animal, and the inner altar is typically used for the incense. Well, where were these gifts of the Nesim, of the leaders, sacrificed? They were brought onto the outer altar. How do I know that? Someone told me. I don't know where, where his source is, but that's what the guy told me. And when he tells me that, it comes along with the unusual piece of information that this is never happens ever again in Jewish history. We never again offer incense onto the outer altar. That doesn't happen again. I don't know if there's any instance of offering an animal on the inner altar, I doubt it. Although then, I don't know if there was blood mixed into the incense, I don't think so. So um, so we've never, we never see this again. So this is really just an exception made for our situation today, what we're talking about, which is the inauguration of the temple. And as we talk about the inauguration of the temple, I think it's important to pay attention to the following page, I wrote this myself. This isn't a, a quote from Chumash, I just wrote it myself, but we're going to, we, we should pay attention to it. And that is that each one of the components of the sacrifice provided by the leader has a lesson and it is meaningful. This, um, what we're talking about here in our story in the Chumash is not just a once-off thing that happened that never happens again. No, this is an inauguration. What happens at an inauguration? We set the standard forever, which means that whatever happens during the momentous inauguration has value, has importance, has impact on the future, on every step of the future. And so that means that the temporary temples, wherever they were, whether it was in the desert, or it was in Shiloh, or in any one of the other places where there was a temporary temple. And then, of course, the first and second temples, both of them in Jerusalem. And when Mashiach comes, we'll have a third temple. They all stem somehow from our tabernacle story, our Mishkan, which we are now inaugurating in this week's Parsha. Is there another temple in discussion? Absolutely. 
We are all a temple. Our bodies are, in a way, a temple. Our soul, our mind, our heart. We're all a temple. We are, as a conglomerate, as a human, as an individual, we are a temple where we can make these actions of sacrifice of our own instincts towards God. We can do what, all of that stuff. That is an important part as well. And so this all happened. That whole inauguration process already started back at the moment where the temple was inaugurated, dedicated. Okay, Rashi, who is of course the um, you the must quote explainer of all times, will tell us um, will tell us the in, the value of each of these items. And so here we go. So this what you see here. Um, I know it's a busy page. I'll, I'll get better at my uh, PowerPoint technique. But in the meanwhile. What we're looking at is Rashi, a translation of Rashi's commentary on each of the ingredients that go into the um, inaugurational gift, made, inaugural gift made by the Jewish leaders. Okay, and let's take a look. So I'm going to ask, um, we'll ask uh, Emmanuel, uh, Manny Elfenbein, if you can read for us, please, the first, this, this, all the English on this page, and then I will give the comments afterwards. Are you open to that? <laughs> yes, no? I don't know. Manny, are you there? Hmm. The silver bowl. The numerical value of the Hebrew Ka'arat Kesef is 930, corresponding to the years of Adam, weighing 130 shekels. Alluding to the fact that Adam was 130 years old when he begot children to perpetuate the world, as the verse says, Adam lived 130 years and then begot a son. 70 shekels corresponding to the 70 nations that descended from Noah's sons. The incense bowl, the Hebrew for bowl is kaf, also means hand alluding to the Torah, which was given from the hand of God, 10 gold shekels corresponding to the 10 commandments. Okay, so thank you for that. So now what happens? Now you're probably wondering how does it work out the numerical value of the Hebrew word ka'arat kesef is 930. So take a look at my table that I've inserted over here and you can see the Hebrew letters. Now you might know about gematria. Gematria is the Hebrew word for uh, Jewish numerology. And numbers. So every Hebrew letter has a number associated with it. And so we will look now at, um, at what is it, seven letters. Seven letters, each of them have a numerical value. And that brings us to 930. So take a look right up here in the corner. You have Kuf equals 100, Ayin equals 70, Reish 200, Tuf 400, Chof 20, Samach 60. Bay 80, altogether that makes 930. So Adam lives 930 years. Next. Okay, so now let's take a look at um, weighing 130 shekels. Adam lives 130 years and then he has a son. But Adam had many descendants, right? Adam was created on the moment, on the day of creation, Adam had begot two children, Cain and Abel, right? So what happened to those two? Well, one of them was murdered by his brother. Right? And the other one, all of his descendants were 
um, annihilated, if you can call it, during the flood. So who's left? Just one brother, who just one brother at the age of 130, whose name is Chase. When Chase is born at 130 years old, he has multiple levels of descendants, and out comes Noah, and Noah's children are the ones that populate the world afterwards. Okay, 70 shekels, 70 nations, that one's easy. And then the incense bowl, given by hand, cuff, the word for um, bowl, I think, bowl, yeah, is cuff, means the, hand, means the hand of God, which is the one giving us the Torah. And then the 10 gold shekels is the, is the 10 commandments. So that's nice. Now take a look at the next one over here. And this one I'll read. It says filled with incense. It has to be filled with incense. So the numerical value of Keturus, um is 613, the number of the biblical commandments. If you change the kuf with Dalit according to the Atbash method, by which the first letter of the alphabet is replaced with the last, etc., so then you hit 100. Uh, you hit, I forgot to change the, uh, the number over here at the bottom, 613. So take a look. Um, Keturus equals 109, 200, 400, makes 709. That's a problem that doesn't work, right? But if you change your numbers here and take a look using the ad bash method where Aleph equals 400 instead of 1, Toph equals 1 instead of 400. So if you exchange the core from being 100, you turn it into 4, just one, just one of the letters in this word, you end up with a total of uh, 613. Um, and that is a, uh, a very important moment for all of us, right? That, and so now what do you have? Okay, how's that for magic? So what you have, you have that the word Keturus using the Adbash system just on one letter, the letter of Kuf changes into 613. And of course, you can go ahead and do the math, but uh, that should work for all of us. Okay, and now, now we continue on with the Rashi. Rashi goes on to say, um, one bull alluding to Abraham, and he said, Abraham took a young bull, and I think that's when he welcomes the guests, and um, he, he takes care of them, I think, maybe, maybe not, we'll have to check. Uh, one lamb. One ram is think is talking about Isaac Yitzchak when he was when he was about to be slaughtered. Hashem puts out that ram, the lamb. Yaakov is called Jacob separated. Uh, Jacob separated the lamb. So how did become how did um, how did Jacob become the wealthy fellow that he was? He had this whole engagement with um, Lavan where he was a he was Laban's um, shepherd. And Laban tricked him out of every deal they proposed. And in how did he become the wealthy fellow by separating the lambs as he did? He pulled it all together. Okay, the next one. Um, a goat to atone for the sale of Joseph. So, okay, so that one, that one we know about. The, the brothers slaughtered the goat when they were, um, when, when they wanted to deceive Jacob into what had happened to his son. And the but the peace sacrificed two oxen. So who were the two oxen? It's Moses and Aaron. They made peace between Israel and their father in heaven. Okay, and then the rams, goats, and lambs, these are the animals included. 
the three species alluding to the divisions of the people, priests, Levites, and Israelites. Also, an allusion to the Torah, the prophets, and the mighties. Three, three parts of the um, of the Tanakh. They were brought in sets of five, alluding to the five books of Moses, the five commandments written on one of the tablets, and the five written on the other. Thus far, this is a teaching that he that Rashi has found in the book of Rabbi Moshe, the preacher. Okay, and here we go. We're moving on. And now we're going to go into a sicha. A sicha is a speech of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe wants to figure out what we can, um, why is there an inherent connection between Kara's Kesef, the silver bowl, and Adam's 930-year lifespan? What's the deal? What's the problem? If you pay attention to the commentary on the other verses, so you notice um, you notice how each thing is connected to the inauguration of the temple. But when it comes to Adam, the, uh, okay, but the age of when Adam gave birth is connected to the perpetration, perpetuation of the world, which is, this is you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these ones are all telling us of the, the merits of the Jewish people, and then, you know, the hand that gave us the Torah, that's each one of the different things they tell us about how the world is how the world came to be how with the process of creation how we're all here how we're being taken care of etc but what still what does um the silver bowl have to do with the age with adam living living till 930 years okay so this here we continue the sikh over here and this time we'll ask juan can you please read for us this page but that connection is uh, there between the life, the lifespan of Adam and the inauguration of the tabernacle for uh, which they brought a silver bowl to represent uh, his 930 years of, uh, more ever. By mentioning Adam's, life, Adam's lifespan, we remind the student that uh, Adam, God's personal uh, handiwork, was proposed to life forever. It was only due to an unfortunate occurrence and partaking from the tree of knowledge that he was punished with mortality, therefore living only 930 years. If so, Mentioning Adam Weisspan is a negative reference. This, therefore, bolsters the question uh, how is it associated with the inauguration of the tabernacle? May I suggest something, Rabbi? Sorry? May I suggest something about this question? Go for it. Uh, I think uh, uh, it's. Uh, it's a very sheet. It's uh, the beginning of everything. Uh, when when uh, everything for us start with Adam and uh, and uh, everything restart with the with the tabernacle thing in, in the desert. And every time that we work in our uh, own temple, we are start uh, in very sheet again and again and again. Mm. 
Okay, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So every time, everything that happens um, in the, everything that happens throughout the creation is being re repeated throughout here. Okay. Cool. So what do, so what do we have? We have this major question. What's the connection of saying Adam's lifespan, how long he lived for? Over here, how it's barely a positive thing, especially when we when we're pointing out, hey, we he actually died. He, he was meant to live forever, and now he's passed away, and he doesn't live for any forever anymore. And even further, the question strengthens the question of what is, um, how is it all associated <clears throat> to the inauguration of the temple? So, in order to properly understand this, let's review the story. That happens with uh, with Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava in the in the Garden of Eden. So Hashem commanded the man, saying, "You can eat from every tree of the garden, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will die." Hashem tells him, "The day you eat from it, you will die." Um, then Hashem says, "It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make for him a helpmate." And Hashem make, builds built the rib that he took from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Good. So what we've discovered already is that Hashem tells him, if you eat it, you'll die. And then he tells him, I'm going to make you a helpmate, a supporter. And that's the lady. The next episode is the snake comes to the comes to Chava and he says, and he says, oh, you're not going to die. So, so how does he, how does he prove it? He pushes her on the, on the tree. Chava had told the snake, well, if I touch it, I'm going to die. She had added onto the story. And then when the snake pushes him onto, pushes her onto the tree and she doesn't like, like, oh, you see, it's not such a big deal. You probably won't die if you eat from it either. She was really excited to eat from it. She does eat from it. She does, definitely doesn't die. And she gives some to Adam. Adam eats from it. And then at that moment, um, they, they are, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. Becoming aware of good and bad of the tree of knowledge They've discovered that they were naked until then. It wasn't a problem. So they take the fig leaves. They made themselves uh, come to wear. And then they hear the voice of God moving around the garden with the wind of the day. And they both hide. They hide. And Hashem calls out to the man. He says, where are you? I heard you. And so Adam, so Adam, the man says, hey, I went to hide because I heard you coming. And he says, I was uncomfortable because I'm naked. He says, how do you know you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat? And it says, well, the woman that you gave it to me, she told me to eat it. She gave me to eat it. Okay, so how do we usually react to this verse? We usually say, hey, well, now he's he's um, he's throwing away responsibility. He's blaming it on his wife. But that's mm -hmm. the, the classic way to look at this idea, that, that, that Adam is actually giving away all responsibility. Also, another thing that we notice here is Adam is, seems to be ungrateful. He says to God, well, you gave me this girl and now she's ruining me. She's ruining me all. She's ruining everything I've got by making me eat this stuff. So again, what you would call that is ungrateful. He doesn't appreciate what God has given him. And what we also discover here is that Adam doesn't die. Adam Avishon, the first man, should should theoretically, based on the beginning of the verse, drop dead on the at this moment at this moment. He ate from the tree and then he dies. That's how it's meant to go. But it doesn't go like that. 
And what, what we discover here is that there is something happens that encourages Hashem to change the plan. So let's continue taking a look. We'll read now from the Rebbe a continuation of the same Sikha, where the Rebbe um, dis discusses this continuation of Pesukim from Bereshis, and at the end we'll connect it to the Mishkan to the Tabernacle. For the tabernacle. So, uh, Robert, will you read for us this page and, uh, yeah, and the next? To resolve this issue, we must first resolve a crucial question on Parashat Bereshit. In Bereshit, the Torah tells us that God warned Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge because he would die on the day he did so. The student then proceeds to read from the rest of the Torah portion and discovers that Adam lived 930 years. He will immediately ask the question, how did he live such a long life after partaking of the fruit if God said he would die immediately? The answer to this question will also help us understand why Adam's lifespan was incorporated in the tabernacle's inauguration. Okay. He demonstrated regret and he even had an excuse. When God asked Adam why he ate from the tree, he answered, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me what I ate from the tree. Despite the lack of gratitude evidenced in this statement, it is nevertheless a genuine response to God's question. God had told Adam that he would give him a helpmate, and then he fashioned Eve and brought her to Adam. Clearly, this was the helpmate that God had referred to. Adam argued that since he had received the fruit from the woman, who was his God-given helpmate, he had assumed that she was doing so by God's command. Therefore, he had partaken of the fruit. And we see that his answer was accepted, despite the fact that he had transgressed God's word. Why? Because his answer came from a place of remorse. When Adam and his wife heard, heard God's voice in the garden, they hid from him out of shame and remorse. They realized that they were naked, as Rashi explains, they realized they were naked of the one mitzvah they had received from God. He realized that he shouldn't have listened to his wife in this regard. Since he was remorseful and he presented a good argument that he had assumed it to be upon God's instructions, God accepted his argument. That's, so this is pretty fantastic right here, right? This is something new that I don't think any of us have, have yet thought about. Yeah. Adam, Adam says, well, Hashem promised me a helper. And the one thing that I need help in is to do what Hashem wants. So if this is what she's telling me to do, then she's probably a messenger of God. And so for sure, I'll eat it. What do you mean? This is what Hashem wants. How should Adam know that she had been uh, seduced into it by the snake? And so what we discover right here is the value of remorse, the value of what we call teshuva. Adam and his wife hear the voice of God. They realize they're out. They realize they're naked. And they say, now it's a whole new thing. I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm not happy with the way I am right now. And so they duck. And so they hide. And when they hide, they show how remorseful they are. And then the response of Adam further shows that. And so what you see is that their behavior, um, what you see is that their behavior puts them forward to God as a remorseful couple. Now, what you're wondering now is, and if you're not wondering this, then maybe you should be, since when does Adam rely on a lady 
to allow him to eat something which was never allowed, permitted to him. Now that's an interesting question, right? Because, um, because we all know, and especially the uh, certain factions in the global community make a big deal about this, that the Torah doesn't rely very heavily on the, the testimony of a woman in the court of law. And of course, there are explanations for that, which is not the time right now. But how do we get out of this here? Well, the answer is that in the case of a woman giving testimony, she may give testimony on something where we would rely on one witness to provide testimony. What are those kind of things? Well, so one of the things is kosher food. Another thing is family purity. We tell the woman is the one who, who lets us know who, she takes care of her own cycle calendar and counting her menstruation days, etc. Um, similarly, uh, when it comes to kosher food, we can rely on a lady to say she cooked this and she takes responsibility for the kosher food that, um, that's there. And so what we've got over here is that Adam, the first man, is already relying on a on on a this halachic loophole to to eat from the tree of knowledge. He's relying on his wife's knowledge about this. Um, that he's, he says, "Oh, she's got to be the you know she's got to be the messenger from God who is allowing me to eat from the tree." And um, and now so then what happens is now we wonder, um, you know. For a second, we're doubting Chava. Now we're like uncomfortable with her. We're uncomfortable with Eve. How could she have given such ill advice to Adam as to have eaten from the tree of knowledge? So even though we have a, a bit of an exoneration that he thought that she was a um, that she is a she's a messenger of God bringing new edicts. Well, at the same time, we have to uh, we have to clarify. That, that Chava is, you know, from the greatest of all women of, that have ever lived. For example, she's buried in the cave of Machpelah. Um, the Torah tells us, the sages tell us that she was profoundly beautiful. Not just, um, and we can't just be talking about physical beauty, but we're also clearly talking about spiritual beauty, as we know that the outer appearance of things reflects what, what they look like on the inside. And so the outer beauty is a is an impression of what inner beauty is, um, and uh, and we see, for example, by Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, she was externally beautiful, but that's a result of her spiritual beauty, and all the other matriarchs were similarly beautiful, just the same, uh, just the same way. So here goes. This strengthens the argument of Adam. How can, uh, how, like, how can you be upset at me? I'm upset about it myself. But I ate it because only because I thought I was doing exactly what you wanted me to do. The second Chava comes and says, "Well, here is fruit, and and um, and she's a, a helper of God. She's Adam's helper." That becomes the immediate impression that this is a desire of Hashem that he should eat the fruit. And so now we go that in the last line of this slide. Thus, we can understand why Adam did not die immediately. Because he had he had expressed remorse, and he had a reasonable reasonable argument as well. So effectively, what you discover is that by doing teshuva, you get out you get out of some of the punishment. Look, he didn't die 
aunt, he didn't die, he was meant to live forever. And instead, he, died, he lives only 930 years. So let's take a quick look at the message of this. And so since Adam, since Alan just logged on, Alan, are you with us? Uh, I'm just laughing. It's, it sounds like guilty with an explanation. Guilty with an explanation. That's it. It does give that impression, doesn't it? That's what I thought when I was learning this, this information for the first time. And uh, sometimes I think about that still. So, Alan, will you read for us, please, this last slide? This teaches us the amazing power of repentance. Although God had warned him that he would die on the day he ate from the tree, his repentance regained him his life, and not only a, a normal lifespan, but a profoundly long, long life of 930 years. Here we find the connection between Adam's age and the inauguration of the tabernacle and the altar. The tabernacle was an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. It was all about repentance. The altar is also a vehicle for repentance. The sacrifices offered on it atone for all sorts of negative behaviors. The concept of an altar as a source of finding favor with God goes all the way back to Noah and continues with Abraham and the following generations all the way down to the altar and the tabernacle. Therefore, at the moment of the inauguration of the tabernacle and altar, which are both vehicles of atonement, we are reminded of Adam's lifespan, which is an expression of the amazing power of repentance. Thank you, Alan. So it's interesting to note that the tabernacle is an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. It's all about repentance. What does that mean? Well, I'd like to tell you, I'd like to share with you that um, we all have a very inherent um, factor that we are made to sin. Now here's, that's, that's coming from the rabbi. Go ahead, right? We're, we're made to sin. When Hashem programs us at the beginning of all time, we're programmed to not behave according to how we're meant to. We're programmed to follow our instincts, to follow our desires, to follow our, our eyes. However... We are then given a mitzvah to not do so. We're then given a commandment to control ourselves. So it's a kind of, in a way, it's a super imposition of God's interests onto us. Instead of having a strong desire always to, to sin, instead we have the strong desire to do a mitzvah. Well, that said... Um, that said, it's our business to now control ourselves. And, and that's the lesson that we're discovering here at this moment in the parsha of giving the karas kesav, the silver, the silver bowl. We're giving, we're seeing how, yeah, Adam lived 930 years, such a long time he lived, such great reward he got. And he lost his death sentence. And not only that, he earned that 930 years all because he chose to do the act of focusing. Instead of, instead of doing his regular instinctual natural interests, he went ahead and um, performed the, uh, the, the re, I don't know, in English we say repentance, but it's not repentance. He, he performed the focus. He was focused on what, what does Hashem want um, at that moment, and so as soon as he could, he realizes, hey, I, I made a mistake, 
and he does the teshuva and he holds out and he, you know, he, he fixes his way. What's the lesson for all of us? We can also do teshuva. So what's, what's a, so here you go. Now you think, oh, this rabbi is telling me to change my life. No, not telling you to change your life. Instead, I'm telling us, telling myself, telling us all that we can do the act of, the act of avoid misbehaving. And my recommendation is just in one space of our lives, right? Everybody has that thing. You know, that I meet people all the time and tell me, oh, I'd never eat pork. Well, and that's good, right? It's good that you never eat pork. But you should try only to eat, uh, only eat, only to eat meat that was slaughtered properly, right? That's, that's, the, uh, that's the, the next step. The first step is avoiding what's wrong. The next step is doing what's right. So and I think an easy place for all of us to begin our teshuva experience is by just avoiding. We, you know, we considered home. This year was the uh, Corona Yom Kippur, right? And so all of us, is, is, all of us did Yom Kippur from home. So how do you do Yom Kippur from home? The one option, um, you know, or, or or the other option, right? In some places, was you could walk to your synagogue and do an outdoor service. So I, I saw a response written by a rabbi who said it would be much better to lie in bed all day with the air conditioner blaring on you rather than walking to a service which might bring you to need to eat. And why is that? Because sitting and not doing anything wrong is much better than putting yourself into a circumstance where you might um, have, a, have trouble. It's called the Shev V'altaser. Sit and don't do anything. And I'm sure there's some English line for that. Sit and don't do anything uh, concept where you just avoid going in the wrong direction. Okay, so that is my blessing for all of us. And the lesson I think we can take from this week's Pasha is let's let's do an act of teshuva by, um, by not doing anything, uh, by not doing anything. <laughs> just, do, just avoid, right? Just avoid doing the wrong thing. And like that, um, Let's hope that we, we merit not just the long life of 930 years. I don't know if any of you guys are interested in living till 930. But let's pray for eternal life. Let's pray for the life where we'll have Mashiach, where we'll have the, the redemption, at which, point, um, at which point life will last forever. So I wish everybody a good Shabbos and, um, and all the best.